Thanks, Robert. Hello, good to be with you guys again. And as a son-in-law, it is nice to be invited back. <laughs> Guess I didn't uh, mess it up too bad last time. Uh, what an honor to be with you guys. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I'm going to move this because I last time in my arm waving hit that a couple times. So I'm learning from my mistakes. Excited to be with you guys uh, and to share a topic that's deeply uh, just influential in my life and my theology. And you're probably going to hear messages this morning you've probably not heard before. Or if you have, it's going to be in a totally different light. And if you don't like it, I don't have the job to lose, but I do have the holidays at least at stake. So if you maybe disagree, that's okay. I want to provoke our faith so that we can understand the things we believe. But this is a, a powerful topic for me because it determines so much of how we live life in the face of adversity. The title of the sermon is Advancing During Adversity. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something going on right now, this season of life, where so many people are facing hardships, they're facing challenges, they have health issues, they've got family issues, they've got finances, careers, death, disease, trauma, you name it. I don't know if you're a hero of that caliber, but I right now am going through some challenging things. I got things in work. I got things in life. My own mother, she's been in remission for seven, eight years. Um, A few weeks ago, six weeks ago, she started having some back pain and her cancer's back. So you never look forward to a second battle of cancer, but that's what our family's going through. And in these times, it's so easy to fall back to lay down and to say, woe is me. But that is not a victorious place in our faith. Faith is great when everything's going well, right? Like hashtag blessed and all the different things that like my life is so great, wonderful. Faith matters the most when times are hard. When things are against you, when the wind is against you, that is when your faith really shows up. And what I found is that most Christians are either ill-informed and definitely unequipped for facing adversity. They don't know the biblical truths. They don't know the responses. They don't know what to do. Some of the most depressed people I know are Christians facing adversity. And here's the truth of the message today. I'm going to give you the punchline, is that as a follower of Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, if you've given your life to Jesus, you are designed, you are equipped to overcome adversity. That is the design, the pattern that Jesus gives us, that you are purposed to overcome everything that comes against you. But in order to be victorious, you need three things. The first thing is you need to know where trials come from. The second thing is you need to know the purpose and the aim of those trials. The third thing is you need to know your response. How do I respond? Those are the three things that are going to determine whether you are a victim whether you're a victor. And we, as the body of Christ, want to be victorious in our trials. Now, normally, if I was here for three weeks, I would break up each one of these into one. I have about 20 pages of notes I'm not going to go over today, for your mercy. Um, But normally, I would take this a little bit slower, but I want to give you guys a nice, complete view of the topic. And I'm not going to do it fully justice, but I'm going to do my best. So let's go here today. Pray with me. God, we bring before you our hearts, we bring before you our minds, we bring before you our beliefs. 
And God, we bring before you our challenges, our heartbreaks, and our struggles, and our disappointments. And most importantly, Jesus, we bring before you unanswered questions of pain. We, this morning, seek biblical understanding as well as equipping today. Would you speak to our minds and our hearts as we seek to learn how to advance during times of adversity? Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the teacher, you are the helper, and now we enlist you now to help guide us into all truth of this matter. In Jesus' name, amen. So I mentioned like a lot of my life, a lot of storms and trials coming through, people I know, people I love, and there's an individual who I have looked up to my entire life. He was a pastor for 10 years, probably the most disciplined and one of the most righteous men I've ever known, discipled me for a long period of time, and I caught up with him for about an hour and a half uh, a couple weeks ago, and he's just going through this incredibly difficult season. He's got career challenges, he's got financial peril, he's got marriage, kids, you name it. He's, he's won the bingo card of hardship. Say, so how long has this been going on? It's like years, three or four years, just perpetual hardship. It's like, and what are you doing about it? He's like, well, I'm searching for some unconfessed sin. I'm looking for some bitterness. I'm looking for what is in me that is causing this upon my life. And I'm, that certainly can be the case. Bitterness will make you sick. Bitterness is going to cause torment to your life. And I'm asking, so have you found it yet? No. Nope. Must be there, though. Still looking. Still trying. Years he's been facing this adversity. And then he said what is really in his heart. He's like, you know what? I'm just ready to give up. I'm just ready. I'm just tired. I, I know that God is good. I just don't experience it. And I don't know how to reconcile my lived experience with my faith. And I keep asking God, what do I need to do to end this season of trial? And I wish that I could say this is a unique story. It's not. I've heard this same story over and over again with different people. And listen to me here that this, what you just heard, my friend, that is the exact blueprint for what Satan wants to do in your life with hardships. He wants to discourage you. He wants to get you down. And ultimately, he wants to ruin your faith and cause shipwreck of everything you believe. And ultimately, that is the tactic of the enemy. The tactic of the enemy is to get you to believe that all the hardship and all the trials in your life is from him, the Father, so that you take your eye off of the enemy. And my friend's beliefs are actually prolonging his trial. They're actually giving victory to Satan. And this is the position of a victim and not the position of a victor. And his pursuits of unforgiveness and bitterness, those are worthy endeavors that we need to examine our hearts. But what he's done is he's tied his hardship to God and also looking for what do I need to fix in me? And we'll talk about how that is off and wrong. So the first thing we need to ask ourselves is, where do trials come from? Now let's first look at Jesus, what his words say, which is always a good place to start, but John chapter 15 and 16, Jesus goes on about the Father, how he and the Father are one. He relates to the disciples. He talks to the Holy Spirit and how he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus goes into all these challenging things that we're going to face. He talks about the wickedness of the world and how there is an enemy, and he goes through all of this dynamics of the world. And then he concludes in John chapter 16, verse 33, says, these things I've spoken to you 
so that in me you may have peace. And he says this, in the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Do you notice that Jesus says the world's going to give you tribulation? He doesn't say, man, I'm going to give you a battle of cancer that you will not believe. He's like, the world is going to give you hardships. But take heart because I have overcome the world. So first we need to recognize that trials are natural byproduct of a fallen and sinful world. And we need to accept that as just part of the, le- the world that we live in, the life that we have. Now do you remember the parable of Jesus when he's talking about the house built on sand, house built on the rock, right? And the storms, the winds, the rains, the floods come, right? Now I internalize that story is that if I believe in Jesus, I will never have any storms. And a lot of people think that, man, I just need to become a Christian and then all of life and all life's problems go away, right? Amen? No, no, no one in here agrees with that. Okay. What is unique about that story is the, the winds, the floods, the storms, the rains, they came upon both houses. Adversity is promised to us. And many people think they're, they're perplexed by the troubles they have, but it is part of the world we live in. And John, in 1 John, repeats the same truth about the world. And he says this in John 4, 4. He says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Who's he speaking about? He's speaking about all the evildoers. He's speaking about the devil. He's speaking about adversity. He's speaking about all the trials we can have. And he says, you little children have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who's in the world. Notice the emphasis on the world again. The world is going to give us trouble. But more importantly, we will overcome. How will we overcome? By he who is inside of us. So the world continues to be a central theme, but it's just more than that. We have to ask ourselves, well, who's kind of running the show in the world, right? And we know from the scriptures that there is a ruler of the world. And John, one chapter later in 1 John 5, 19 says this, says, we know that we are children of God. He, again, repeats that same pattern. And the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Profound statement. We are children of God and we know the whole world is under the control of the evil one. What's unique about the New Testament is that Jesus illuminates the spiritual and cosmic battle over the world. And time and time again throughout the scriptures, we find how Jesus illuminates what's going on with this enemy that we have. And he says that in John 12, that Satan, he called, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. Paul, writing to uh, the Corinthians, calls Satan the God of this world. To the Ephesians, he says that Satan is the ruler, the prince, the power of the air. We live in a world that actually has an authority that is not for us, it's actually against us. And so the world brings trouble, and Satan is the ruler of that world. But in case we need even further proof that Jesus makes it absolutely clear in John 10.10, says, the Satan comes to, what is it? Steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus is like, and I come to give life, and life more abundantly. There's one person who's going to steal, kill, and destroy, and there's one person who's going to give life and life more abundantly. Now, what complicates this entire thing is that Satan also works through people. Now, before you start volunteering names, let's talk about this, is that, 
Yes, we live in a fallen world where there's cancer, there's disease, there's storms, there's all of the hardships that we have, but Satan also uses people as extensions of his purposes. Meaning that Satan can actually access you, war against you with somebody else. And the examples in the Bible are many. Jesus, when he looked at the Pharisees, the rulers, the authorities, he's like, you have your father is the devil and you want to do his will. He said that to the Pharisees. When Paul is talking to Timothy, talking about the different people in their culture, he says, there are people who've been taken captive by Satan to do his will. Paul the Ephesians says that there are people who are warring against them and he calls them sons of disobedience, people who are being accessed by Satan to come against the gospel. And let us also not forget Judas, right? In communion, did you catch the passage where it says Satan entered him? Terrifying. The point is that Satan not only can bring challenges of the world, he can work through people. Now, is every disappointment and every pain a result of Satan? Absolutely not. Despite what I was saying and believing two weeks ago when my internet went down, my slow internet is not the product of Satan. It's just a spectrum. Don't use them. My Amazon package, being slow, is not a trial. Getting out of Napa on the 12 on a Friday afternoon is not Satan. There are just things that are going to happen that are hard. But Satan will gladly take the credit if you want to give it to him. And then there are self-inflicted trials, right? There are things where there's things that we do, and if there's any connection between God and, and your adversity, it's that God allows us to have the consequences of our decisions. If I decide on Monday the best way to financial prosperity is to rob a bank, and I go rob a bank, there's going to be somebody that's going to come to my house with handcuffs and a gun and put me in a metal cage for a long time. Now, should I like be like, God, why are you causing me trials, <laughs> right? Like, no, of course not. If I stop paying my bills or you stop paying your bills, people are going to turn things off and they're going to kick you out of houses. It is just what happens. Those are self-inflicted trials. So Satan doesn't mind you doing the work for him in those circumstances, but be warned that these can work together. You can either project Satan onto a challenge or you can exercise incredible stupidity and invite Satan in. Ephesians 4 says, do not give the devil a foothold. What does that mean? It means that we can. You are capable of giving the enemy something and an access into your life to cause harm. But the central truth here is that trials are not from Satan. They are from the ruler of a fallen world. And why is this important? Is because as we see here is that God is equipping you to overcome these trials. And if God is equipping you to overcome these trials, he can't simultaneously be sending them. If God is equipping you to be victorious, he's not the one who's sending you the affliction. Is that making sense to you? And Jesus illustrates this because, remember, he was casting out demons and people were like, oh, you're casting out demons by Beelzebub, which is a euphemism for the devil. And Jesus says, no, that is a house divided against itself. You cannot use darkness and cast out darkness. The same principle is in the inverse for God. God cannot be sending you trials and adversity while also helping you overcome them. 1 John 1, 5 says, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. What's even more significant is if you believe that God has given you trials, if you believe that all of your hardship is actually from the Almighty, 
Why would you resist? You wouldn't. You'd lay down. You complain. You, you'd, what is in me? What do I need to do? And that is exactly what's happened to my friend. But you are called to rise up against adversity. You are called to, to use the Spirit of God within you to overcome. And you, we can't make any wiggle room in our mind about this. Some people say, well, might be Satan doing it, but God has given him permission. Like, are they going in a back room and negotiating against you? This doesn't make sense to me. Satan is called a thief, right? A thief. He would not be called a thief if he had permission. So we need to completely disassociate in our mind who is bringing an attack on our life, a hardship on our life, and who is helping us. So if you're going to advance during adversity, you need to know that trials, where they come from, they come from a broken and sinful world of whom Satan is the ruler of. But what do trials do? That's the second question. What, is there a purpose? Is there an aim? Do they have a mission? When they come into your life, why? Is it, is it just random or is there a purpose? And I would offer to you that trials actually have a designed purpose and it's not a good one. People like to dress up trials and say, well, a lot of good can come from this. And that can happen if you follow my third point in this message, which is that we need to partner with God to resist. That is totally possible. That is not the universal Christian experience. We all know Christians who become worse for the trials, not better. We all know Christians that have encountered a situation, a trauma, a hardship, a disappointment, and they just abandon the faith. My friend is holding on by a thread. So trials are not this universally positive thing. Make no mistake about it. This is what trials are aiming for. They are coming to crush your faith. They're coming to minimize your life. They're coming to steal your fruit, and they are coming to render you powerless. That is the goal, the purpose of trials in your life. If you're here when I last talked about the transformed life, about us in Christ, we are amazing. Like what God did to transform us, we could have just been fine not spending eternity without him, right? That would have been enough. Salvation in Jesus is enough to not have to endure our sins any longer. That forgiveness, hallelujah, powerful, amen, hallelujah. You guys with me? But he transformed us. He gave his spirit inside of us, which demands that we live differently. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to make us the tabernacle of the spirit. He didn't have to give us every spiritual blessing. I'm not going to re-preach the whole entire message, but you get the idea. Is that we are these incredible vessels for what God wants to do on the earth right now. And he lives in us and through us. Someone agree with me and say amen. So God is accomplishing his purposes through you. When someone prays for God to do something, guess what? God has you in mind. He wants his children, his body to step up and do something about it. But the Bible demonstrates three ways in which trials come against us in our transformed life. And the first one is your faith, what you believe. Trials come to take away your faith. Three times in the Bible, Jesus, three times talks about how trials come and steal our faith. Twice, remember the parable of Jesus talking about the seed and it's cast in different areas, it's cast on the side of the road, cast on the rocks and the thorns and then the good soil. Remember that parable? I'm going to show you something that most people have missed. When he talks about the seed 
sown on the rocky ground. He says this, those on the rocky soil are those when they hear, receive the word with joy, and they have no firm root. They believe for a little while, but in times of trial, they fall away. Jesus in Matthew 24, he talks about great challenges the world is going to have. And he says, and many will fall away. Trials don't come with good intentions for you. Now, your Bible might have a different version of a word in that passage in in Luke 8. Uh, But the word, interestingly, the word um, pyrosmos is what it says, apparently. I'm not a Greek scholar. But the same word for temptation, for trials, and testing is all the same Greek word. Testing, trials, and temptation. We actually can look in the Lord's Prayer, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Pyrosmos, that's the same Greek word. We actually can pray that passage of lead us not into trials, but deliver us from evil. Same word. Why? It's because trials never come with good intentions for us. They actually are to come against us. And we think about the circumstances again, people who fall away. We're thinking of people who are that used to be Christians, used to love God, used to be powerful in their faith, and then something tragic happened. They're like, I don't know if I can believe anymore. We all have different people that come to mind. They could not endure the hardship. The point is that trials come to take away your faith, and they also stop faith. The common complaint with atheists, what do they say? How can a good God be good with all this suffering and evil? It trials come against belief and of faith. And the second purpose of trials is to come against your efforts. Again, we are transformed, right? You are empowered. You are the Ferrari version of the Holy Spirit here on earth in bodily flesh to do all the great things for God, right? But the enemy wants to come against your efforts. Philippians 2 says this, that it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill God's purposes. If God is going to do something incredible on earth, he's probably going to use you because he lives in you and through you. Why does this matter? It's because if, God, if Satan is going to come against the move of God, he's going to move against people because that's how God is going to work. Does that make sense? So trials come to hinder our efforts because God's purposes are moving through our efforts. In essence, that the only way that Satan can try to hinder God is to hinder you because he's calling you to act boldly. And if you recall, Jesus could not do any miracles in his own hometown. That's kind of a weird passage, right? Like that's amazing that Jesus was restricted in some challenging way. We also looked at, um, I mean, I won't go into all the passages, but we see time and time again that the rulers, the authorities, they come against the work of Jesus. And if you, look, if you look for it, you'll start seeing it all over the place. But my uh, dots keep connecting here because we all remember the story where Jesus calmed the storm. We remember the demon man called Legion, which is really scary, right? And we're like, oh, we, like, we hold these stories in isolation. But we don't ever connect them, and we need to. What happened? That Jesus was doing incredible miracles to the multitudes. Incredible things. And he's exhausted, he's finished, he's like, tomorrow I want to go to the other side of the land and continue his ministry. But how our chapter breaks and how our verses break, we we don't connect the dots. 
what happened next is he encountered a storm. He then had to silence. And then he gets on the other side, the sea, and what's there? Two demon-possessed mans that had awakened from tombs. So you're saying that Jesus says, I'm going to go to this other land, I'm going to bring my ministry, and a storm and demon-possessed people are there to resist him. Again, the enemy comes to restrict and resist you. Paul the Thessalonians, he says this in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, he says, For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, but Satan hindered us. And so because God works through you, Satan is going to work against you. And that is the purpose of those trials. The third way that trials come against you is against the fruit of the Spirit in you. Remember we talked about all the amazing things about Christ in you, the fruit of the Spirit, any good Bible scholars in here? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Like those are the things the Spirit produces from us into our lives. What's unique about trials? It's trials come against every single one of those. How about love? Trials often destroys all the most important relations of your life. Joy? Trials take away your joy and put you in the pit of despair, don't they? P peace? Trials really you with anxiety. Patience? Trials make you impatient and overreact. Kindness? Trials make you lash out at others. Goodness? Trials often provoke you to sin and compromise and numb in yourself. Faithfulness? Trials often make you want to give up. Gentleness? Trials make you hardened and embittered. And self-control, trials make you want to exert total control. You want to control others. So trials come from our human experience. We know that they come to steal and to harm all the great work that God wants to do inside of you. And all, so often when I see someone in a trial, their spiritual fruit is under attack. It's gone. They don't even look like Christians. And that's the design of trials. So the viewpoint of all of this is that if you're going to advance during adversity, you need to know that trials come to crush your faith, they come to minimize your life, to steal you fruit and render you powerless. The third and final question here is what do we do? All right, maybe I've got you like, all right, trials come from the enemy, the ruler of the world, they come to hurt you, to hinder you, to restrict you, to steal your fruit. Now what? What do we do about it? Again, there's just too many passages here for me to cram in here, but Romans 8.35 are a passage today that who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or naked or peril or sword? But in all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer them through him who loved us. Your victory in trials is partnership with God to overcome them. You're designed to conquer trials. You're not designed to lay down. Luke 10, Jesus says, I've given you all authority over the snakes and scorpions, which is a term for demonic purposes, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. That's Jesus' promise to you. Romans 18.20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. James 4 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Paul in Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God. I could do a whole sermon series just in the armor of God. The point is, you are designed for
for battle. You were designed for victory. We are in a world that is coming against us, and we need to form a fist and punch back. There's too many Christians pleading, woe is me, and laying down when God is waiting for us to rise up and do incredible things for him. We all probably know Psalm 23. We'll just even give a little Old Testament reference here. Probably everyone knows that psalm, right? It's uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You guys know it, right? He makes me lie down on green pastures, leads me beside still waters, restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. What comes next? And though I walk, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I walk. Some of you in here have like set up camp in the valley of the shadow of death. Some Christians like do some sightseeing. I'm going to spend a little season here. I'm going to buy some real estate here in the valley. No, we are designed to journey through the valleys. They're going to come. Our purpose, our aim is to not pretend like they're not going to come, but to continue walking. Sometimes all we can do, if we can't fight, we just need to keep on walking. Some of you, that's like the season right now. It's like, I, I don't have any more fight. That's fine. Just keep walking. Just keep moving. One day at a time. The thing I've been telling myself the past three months is like, one day at a time. One foot in front of the other. There is no single victory I have in here, but I just need to continue to walk. And so as Christians, our response is to conquer, is to overcome, is to crush, is to resist, and it is to walk through our trials. Are you with me? Just before I conclude, I have, just because I know that there's somebody out there, I'm going to read your mind. And you're like, but wait. There's a couple passages in the Bible that you're like, what I'm saying doesn't reconcile. Let me help you with that. It, you're probably thinking of Romans 8.28 and James 1. I read your mind for you. You like that right there? Romans 8.28 says this, For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes, right? And you're like, God causes all things, right? That's not what it says. God causes all things to work together. Because we've already seen who the ruler of the world is. We've already seen that he's got total control. So God causes all things to work together. What does this mean? It just means that God is able to take bad situations and to turn them around for good. That he's not, in his goodness, going to allow trials and hardships to have the final answer. What this means, metaphorically, pardon, is that God is really good at taking poop and making fertilizer. Okay, that's the, what we need to understand for that. He is able, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, to allow trials to not have the final say in this life and in this world. That's what that means. And don't misunderstand that God needs something bad to create good. That's not what it says at all. God's his goodness. He's always producing goodness in all of us. He's always producing goodness in you. He's always producing goodness in the world. But when bad things happen, he's going to partner with us if we team up with him to create good from it. We're not promised that it's all going to be back to us if we're part of the hardship. Sometimes the good's going to go to other people. We think about Paul being imprisoned, right? Satan working through the rulers, the authorities. Like, all right, what do we got to do about Paul? put him in prison. That'll, that'll teach him, right? Like, we're going to squelch all the gospel. We're going to put the main guy, like the Michael Jordan of the kingdom right now, we're going to imprison him. You know what Paul did? He wrote letters. We wouldn't have a lot of the New Testament. So Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 
Philemon, those are all letters written while Paul was in prison. Making fertilizer, taking a bad situation. And those letters, what Satan meant to suppress and contain and to squash and resist the work of Paul, ended up making those letters throughout the entire world. And we have all the truths that we have, largely in the New Testament, because of Paul, many of which he wrote in chains. Incredible. That's the imagery we need to have when hardship comes. Man, God, I'm ready to team up with you to create something even better. The second passage that's probably coming to your mind is James 1. It says, Consider it pure joy when you encounter various trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Now, we like to say this like, oh, well, you know, God needs to bring us perseverance, and so he's going to bring us trials, and we're, we're so messed up, aren't we? Like, we have these complicated ways in which we will try to justify this. But before we take this verse, we need to draw the conclusion of why is it joy? Why does it say joy? Remember one point ago that the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and remember, trials come against your fruit. When we respond in joy, not for the circumstance, I'm not being like, oh, mom, your cancer's back. This is so wonderful. Hallelujah. Like, no. We are not called to dress up tragedy, disease, cancer, and pretend it's joyful. That is not the goal. Why are we instructed for joy? It's because the enemy's trying to come steal it. We move in the opposite way for what he's trying to steal. The enemy's goal is to steal your fruit. When you respond and you pursue a life that produces fruit, you rob him the very prize that Satan is after. Does that make sense? That we can now, because resist the devil, he'll flee from you. So there's a certain amount of where Satan's a little bit lazy, right? Like he's like, we, he can flee from us if we resist. There's a measure where our strength can have him go away. If we make our lives such an unattractive target, like I will not allow my joy to be stolen. I will not allow my life to be pilfered and pillaged by all these trials. I'm going to stand firm in my faith. I'm going to stand firm in my fruit. I'm still going to encounter trials, but I'm not going to surrender the victory to him. Is that making sense? So what does this mean is that we need to remember that these trials come to minimize our faith, to steal our joy, to come against our fruit, and that when we respond in such a way with things like joy, that we get revenge, holy revenge on the works of the trials that come to war against us. And we respond with that, we also develop muscles. I'm not anybody who should talk about personal fitness or building muscles, but you build muscles by lifting things that are heavy, right? And so there is a silver lining when we do, all of us are going to encounter trials. We could say, these trials are going to come here and I'm going to be stronger for it. While I'm here, I'm going to get the most out of this. I'm going to fight back. I'm going to build muscles. I'm going to be a really powerful person of Christ so that the next trial that comes, I'm going to be through even faster. So if you're going to advance during adversity, you need to conquer, overcome, resist, and walk through trials and produce fruit as righteous rebellion to the adversity that comes against you. My last thought is this, is that what is victory in trials? What does victory even mean? talk about advancing during adversity, but what does victory mean? Does it mean we always get the outcome we want? 
Nope. Does it mean the hardship instantly goes away? Nope. Does it mean we're never attacked again? No. Our victory in trials is our response to them. It's our belief, it's our faith being intact. That we will not back down, we will not lose faith, we will not let Satan steal our joy and steal our fruit. That is not victory. And we have to understand that we can still be victorious in trials even though we don't get the outcome we want. Victory in trials does not mean we get the outcome we want. Victory in trials means that we stand firm, we keep our faith, we don't give up, that we punch back, we, we, we rise up to all that is inside us, but then we still have this issue of like, well, I wanted this thing. At every level of my mom's cancer, she first started back pain. We're going to pray for back pain, fully believing that. Great, an x-ray. Wow, it looks like a tumor. We're going to be fully believing that that is just a, an odd thing. Nope, it's a tumor. We're going to get a biopsy. We're going to fully believe and pray that that biopsy comes as being something, I am not a physician, but something that's not cancer, right? <laughs> At every stage, I'm not getting the outcome I want. That doesn't mean I'm not victorious in it. I'm still rising up. I'm still fighting back. I'm like, what is the next goalpost for the miracle? Let's pray into that. And so at every level, we pray. So we have to wander into this world where we're going to war against trials and victory is going to be found in our response and not always in the outcome. And John the Baptist, if you remember him, he's imprisoned. Another little obscure story. He's like, hey, to the disciples, send for Jesus. Wink, wink. Uh, I can use a little help getting out of this jail here. And Jesus says, tell John the Baptist, the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The lepers are clean. And he says something really challenging. He says, blessed are those who do not lose faith on account of me. What does that mean? We know that Jesus, well, we know that Peter was, you know, vaporize out of a jail cell, right? In the middle of the night with all the locks and things. Like we know that God takes people out of prison, right? But we also know that Jesus couldn't do miracles in his own hometown. So we have to wrestle with this expectation and outcome. And he said, blessed are you who do not lose your faith on account of me. That we need to not lose our faith when we don't get the outcome we want. That's victory to still have the faith, to still have the belief, to still fight and still advance, even though we didn't get the outcome we wanted, that we're still joyful, we still pursue God, we still know where the trials come from. And that's how we advance during adversity. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just thank you, God, for your mighty power. We thank you for the transformation in our lives. We thank you that you've equipped us. We thank you, God, that you are helping us conquer and overcome. And I just pray for every heart and every life in here that is enduring hardship, that is enduring a prolonged season where there's trial and there's pain. And Father, we ask that you would rise them up, equip them now, Jesus, to overcome the trials. I pray that you would rewire our minds to know that you are for us and not against us. We sing these songs. We pray that today it would be in our hearts. We pray that you would give us vision for how to respond 
and that we would rise up and overcome the adversities in our lives. And so we pray for restoration, for healing. We pray for all of the eradication of pain and difficult circumstances, God, but we put our victory on our response and we'll continue to pray and contend and to fight back. You're such a good God and you have such great plans for us. We thank you for this day and this time. In Jesus' name, amen.